Oh my goodness gracious. I can't believe it, Zach. We are actually approaching, and depending on when you listen to this, we could be beyond opening day 2020. It's actually going to happen. You know, we sat here on this podcast for months and essentially said, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. We're about to see it, buddy. And it's an all-new Selby is Godcast. What is up? Where is Jim Ross to say, by God, that's Major League Baseball's music? <laughs> uh, what here? would Major League Baseball's music be? Just like a waiting room? I think Bruce Springsteen. Elevator. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, sporting flannel shirts. and Yeah, that just makes way too much sense. It's nice that it's here. I don't know about you, but I mean, I remember saying that I didn't think this was going to be legitimate, and I was a little skeptical, and the closer we've gotten to the season, the more I've kind of allowed myself to embrace how ridiculous this is going to be. And just knowing that this is unlike anything we've ever had and unlike anything we ever will have, um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to just see how different this is and how important everything feels. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were just talking before we hit record um, as you're kind of trying to lay out predictions and projections in your mind of how this might go. You, If you have a team that wins 27, 28 games because it's just it's a shorter schedule. You get less time for teams that are even on a pace to win more games to win those games. So you still could have someone finish below 500 and be behind a team that, if it were a full 162-game schedule, would have gone on to win 88, 89, 90, 91 wins or, or maybe even more than that. But it still could all be separated by just a handful of games. I mean, it, it could come down to the final week deciding races that are between three and four teams that are jockeying for a position and, and trying to win their division. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I think I've said before the line between contender and pretender will never be as blurred as it is this year. Um, it's <laughs> there are, you know, you get to the end of a normal spring training and optimism runs rampant through every, every facility, Right. You know, because if you're a contender, you're you're excited because the season's approaching and your team's going to be good. If you're kind of in the middle, I think you end up looking at the optimistic viewpoint just because you know you, you've seen the good in your players and everybody looks like they're in the best shape of their lives. And and if you're a rebuilding team, it's still an optimistic time because you're seeing your young players and you're imagining your future. But when spring training reaches the end. I think reality kind of sets in and you, you know, you have an idea of what to expect for your, from your team. The difference is here with the way this has played out. I don't think, is there, I mean, in Baltimore, I guess, but like how many fan bases think their team has absolutely zero chance at contending. I mean, I think there are people in Kansas city and Detroit and Miami, we know one person who thinks highly of the Marlins, but in those cities that they think, you know what, it's not impossible for our team to go 30 and 30 and to be in the race in the last couple of weeks. And I'll take that even one step further because you're evaluating these seasons based on shorter sample sizes. If you get to a point, let's say, let's say it is Miami. Oh, or even in the in this own division, let's say Kansas City just rips off a ridiculous stretch right out of the the shoot, and they're in a position where it comes to the trade deadline. Do you buy? Do you push timelines ahead based on this? Based on this sample size, and certainly we know no one would would even be thinking of making decisions based on this small of a sample in an actual regular season, but. Do you throw away an opportunity because of what this season is? Or if, if you're three or four games up on, on people in your division, but you weren't expected to contend, do you not try to go out and win? Do you give up young pieces? I mean, how do you play that when you are, are potentially seeking a playoff spot and you weren't even supposed to be in that position? Do you, do you go all in? I, I think that's going to be fascinating, too. Yeah, and I think if you are a team that's going to be on the rise, like if you're the White Sox and you're sitting in first place in late August, 
if you can acquire pieces that will help you this year and beyond, I think that's the way to go. Um, but this, there's just going to be so, so much wackiness because um, we've seen crazy things happen over 60 games. And you're right. Like, I mean, you think about normally you've got a few teams battling for a couple different spots late in September, right, throughout the league. But a lot of teams have things wrapped up. In September, you know, it's so many times you see teams rip off like 20 wins in 25 games because half the teams are out of it and they're playing their young players and, you know, they don't care if they win or lose. It's about development. Well, this year you have everybody in the league contending and every game is going to matter so much in September. I mean, it's, it's going to be like this entire season is on steroids. Yeah, and I, I don't even think I, – I don't disagree with your thought on looking for players that help for this season and beyond, but what if you're in a position where you could grab a rental for almost nothing just because of what is happening right now? You know, do you give up a, a flyer young prospect? Do you push in for, for something you just weren't expecting? I, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated to even see things that we're not envisioning today that are going to be at the forefront, you know, 40 games in. And I'm, I know Linus is excited. I'm excited. <laughs> um, and it gets even more exciting as you're watching real baseball. And, and, you know, it's one thing to see teams playing themselves, but it was another to see the Indians actually play the Pirates and be playing games that just feel so weird. You have to remind yourself, hey, these games don't matter. Wait, games will soon be mattering, but they won't look much different what we see here today uh that was really odd to watch those games uh and it also kind of gets exciting uh more so than what's going on at your household right now (laughs) just a 90 pound (laughs) dog just going nuts Uh, it gets even more exciting when you're seeing guys that maybe wouldn't have been a position to make the roster if this was the the regular season happening at the beginning of april but now Guys are, are knocking on the door or making the team like Bradley Zimmer or Tyler Naquin being healthy and able to actually be on the roster now. It, it, it's so fascinating how much different this season is now and how many more opportunities guys are getting compared to what we would have seen if this was starting like it should have. Yeah, I, I mean, there are so many you're right about, like there are going to be things that pop up that we didn't even think about. Um it's, you know, I think the biggest thing to me that kind of dictates a lot of other things is the manager and how much patience can you have with players, whether it's, you know, your closer blows two saves, do you yank them from the job? Because in a normal season, that'd be like six in a row. Do you, like, what do you do with hitters? What do you do with your lineup? Like, you know, normally Terry Francona, it takes him, it takes him 60 games before he moves Nick Swisher down from the number two spot or Jason Kipnis down or Jose Ramirez up, you know? So you can't, you don't have time this year. And like the Indians bullpen is the biggest question mark. And there's no time for people to build trust. There's no time for people to settle into roles, for them to experiment so, and it's not just the Indians, it's going to happen league-wide. It's why, even if you're, I mean, you can be completely confident in the Dodgers and the Yankees because they're so deep, so talented, um, but it's not a guarantee. Over 162 games, it's pretty damn close to a guarantee that they'll claim a playoff spot. In 60 games, even those teams, it's, it's not a guarantee. And for the teams that are, like, good, who are expected to contend, you know, I think of, like, the Twins and the Indians and, like, Oakland and Tampa. And in the National League, there's, like, 10 of these teams. Teams who aren't in that Dodgers-Yankees tier, but also aren't, like, you know, like, they're good. There's so much variability. There's such a wide spectrum for what can happen because – of all these different variables and you know patience is going to be a critical one it's like we've said if if you get off to a slow start like you know, like if, if the Indians go one in six in their opening week 
goodbye. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but that's, you know, it's going to kind of be like that. I mean, every game counts for 2.7 games, essentially. And so if you win one game that's like sweeping someone in a normal season, if the Indians sweep the Royals this weekend, that's like an eight, nine game winning streak. Um, so it's for the first time ever, everything's going to matter. And, you know, you can't say, oh, it's early. We've got time. You know, he'll turn it around. Tito loves saying guys get to their levels. Not in 2020. There are no levels. So it's just, <laughs> it's going to cause mass chaos. Uh, it's like the Super Mario world maker, whatever, where it's just the fire sticks on every inch of the level. <laughs> You're trying to navigate one dash one, but it's just fire sticks everywhere. That's the 2020 season <laughs> in a nutshell, essentially. Yeah, it's um, like my dog right now, shredding books from a bookcase. So. <laughs> uh, hopefully none of them are Cleveland rocked. Oh. It would just be Cleveland plug. shredded. Um, yeah, so to get back to, I'll start with the outfield as we kind of run through some, some preview-esque stuff for this season. Uh, nothing is normal, and I don't expect this podcast to be. But as I look at that group, it's a group that we talked about so much all over all winter and now for years. And it, a lot of what we said before still holds true in that there are so few guarantees in that outfield, but there are still some guys that are so interesting um, that I would love to watch just play out a full season of their ability over a regular season. I would love to just hand them 60 games to see what they would do but they're not going to get that opportunity. So how does a guy like Bradley Zimmer work his way into potentially being a bigger part of this team like he was supposed to be a couple of years ago when you're only looking at a 60-game sample size? <laughs> is, is Oscar Mercado going to somehow do something so disastrously bad in center field that it's going to get Zimmer at-bats? Does Domingo Santana play a, a lesser role to try to get Zimmer some at-bats? But be, because of the way he swung the bat in summer camp, God, I certainly would like to see him get some at-bats. Uh, same goes for Tyler Naquin, who was not part of uh, the initial plans because of his injury coming back, and was, the rehab was going to take him probably halfway into the season to really get going. Well, now he's here, and he's ready to go. So there's a lot of guys out there that probably deserve a chance over 60 games that just aren't going to get it. Yeah, I mean, there is a clear-cut way teams operate normally, right, where you kind of just let the process play out. Or you know at some point this year, Daniel Johnson would have gotten a chance. And at some point this year, if Zimmer and Chang kept hitting so well, someone would get hurt, someone would be ineffective, and you can make that change. And now, <laughs> I mean, they're carrying three utility guys, three utility infielders to start the season. Meanwhile, the four starting infielders average like 158 games a year. So <laughs> they're all switch people? hitters without yeah. a distinct platoon advantage. You're never going to pinch hit for any of the four. You, you don't. They're all good defenders. Like, <laughs> so it's it's really strange. And as good of a story as Zimmer and Chang are, I don't know that there's especially for Chang. He's probably only going to be on the team for two weeks until there's, there's the roster limits decrease. And Zimmer, it's like his only way of – like he can certainly play as a defensive replacement every day, and he can be a pinch runner every day. But and there's I a role for that in a shortened season where these absolutely. games mean more. But you're right. When it, how is he going to get the at-bats? And how is he going to be able to get the at-bats that help his development? Right. You know, taking batting practice isn't going to help that swing, and he needs repetitions. And it looks fantastic, all the changes that he's made. But does that fade over time if he doesn't get to face big league pitching all the time? You know, they right. talk about sending guys to the minors and they stand behind the reasoning. Well, they need everyday at-bats. They need the seasoning. And they're not going to get a lot of that at the major league level. And a lot of it often sounds like bullshit. Um, has more to do with the service time. But this, this year, sending guys out to face some of their top minor league pitching might have some benefits as opposed to just sitting on the bench and, and just occasionally getting to pinch run every now and again. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's why it is a good thing that like Nolan Jones and Tristan McKenzie are, are out in East Lake. And, and I think it's helpful for the prospects and it's certainly better than the better than what they would be doing, but it's everything about this year is weird. Like is, is anybody really getting better in 2020? Um, 
And and they're just again, I just keep coming back to like if Domingo Santana struggles, you know, if he has a really lousy first two weeks at the plate, and you know he's not a good defender in left field, at what point do you just pull the plug and you go to Bradley Zimmer? And then Daniel Johnson's the next man up after that. Like I I don't know what the answers are to this yet. Terry Francona has said he doesn't even really know what the answers are yet. And that's why it's going to be so fascinating to see. Normally, there's so much roster turnover from opening day till the end of September. And I'm really curious to see how much there will be from day one to day 60. I feel like you could just go through the list and and I would, would – would you be interested to see 60 games of Jordan Lupolo getting to see if he can just be an everyday player? That's another one. Like, he's, he's done nothing to demonstrate that he doesn't deserve that opportunity, but I don't think he's going to get it in 2020. No, no. I mean, it's, it's, the sample size is way too short. It, as you said, in a regular season, if guys struggle, you probably build into playing more of an everyday role, and that would happen – organically but that's not going to get a chance to happen now um but i feel like you could do that with everybody we would i would say that that's true with zimmer i would say that that's true with with naquin with the way that he was really playing and really hitting when he got hurt last year uh he's a guy that i don't think he'll ever be a, a high ops high on base percentage guy but he certainly can probably slash his way to a 290 batting average and sometimes in this health field i don't want to say that that's not appealing in some way, if he's, especially if he's playing good defense in right field and, and throwing guys out there defensively. So he's a guy that's earned more of an opportunity. Uh, Greg Allen has never gotten a shot, and even the shots that he has gotten, have I mean, we haven't seen anything truly that would demonstrate he deserves a, a prolonged shot in the major leagues. But I, I, I feel like there are a lot of guys that you could go through and just say, yeah, 60 games of – I would like to see 60 games of Fran Reyes getting an opportunity to just go play the outfield. Uh, Domingo Santana, it has been enough of a, a proven commodity that he needs more of a 60-game sample size before you're planting him on the bench or at least relegating him to just versus left-handed pitching. So I don't envy Terry Francona's decision-making there, having to decide what he's got to do with that outfield. Because the infield is set. He doesn't have to do a damn thing, really, there. With, with them, where they're playing, and probably where they're hitting in the order. But beyond that, there's a lot of tough decisions to be made. Speaking of the lineup, do you like the setup? Francisco Lindor down to three, Cesar Hernandez leading off, Jose in that two spot, Santana fourth, Reyes fifth. Looks like it's going to be Naquin Luplo, who one reader and I have endorsed it has. Um, they are now known as Naplo. Do you like that, <laughs> or do you prefer Lupquin? Oh, oh my God! I don't know. Throw a coin in the air and let that decide. Do you like the uh, lineup? I feel like the lineup's kind of underrated. Yeah, I, I think there's some some sneaky ability there. Um, Cesar Hernandez will be fascinating because if he is the the guy that walks a shit ton and gets on base at a 360, 370 clip, then I am perfectly fine with him leading off and just being on base for everybody else to hit home runs and doubles and all the extra base hits that, that Ramirez and Lindor provide. I know probably some would like to see Ramirez and Lindor separated, so you don't have as much maybe solo home run potential with one of them going yard and leaving Lindor up there to hit with the bases empty. But I think I think those guys do enough. Well, especially Ramirez. You know, Ramirez isn't just a home run hitter. He he gets on base, he walks, he he hits doubles. He I think there will be plenty of traffic for Lindor hitting third. You don't have to worry so much about Ramirez always clearing the table. If it was just a pure power guy. Like, I wouldn't be in, in favor of just putting uh, someone that just hits home runs in the two-hole. Because then you probably Fred would no have – You probably would have Lindor up there a lot with the bases empty. But I think those two guys, and, and with the top four being switch hitters, I think it makes for a, a difficult uh, venture through the top of the Indians order if Hernandez is getting on base a ton now. He's going to decide that with what he ends up doing. But I like that he's already talking about his goal every day, just getting on base. Maybe he got beyond that in Philadelphia. It seemed like he got a little too overaggressive, particularly last year when the, the walk rate dropped more than any hitter in baseball from, from uh, 18 to 19. 
Oh, I but mean, I, I think he was spending too much time playing Fortnite. Might have been. I think Carlos Santana will prevent that this year. <laughs> I mean, and if we probably get too wrapped up in all of this. It really doesn't matter a hell of a lot as long as guys are just producing wherever they happen to be hitting. But even if you're saying Santana's on bases wasted in the, the cleanup spot because then you're, you're setting it up for the bottom of the order, well, no, you have a power hitter right behind him. So I, I, I think the lineup is, is sneaky good the way that it's set up now, and a lot just depends on how well Hernandez gets on base. Yeah, I think the top five, even the top six, I mean, the, people don't like Tyler Naquin, maybe because he dropped a fly ball in the World Series four years ago, but the Naquin-Luplo platoon produced pretty much the same slash line as J.D. Martinez did last year. So, and slightly better than Michael Brantley. So it's, it's productive. And I know a lot of that is Luplo just treating left-handed pitchers like they're yeah, I mean, I don't trash. Know, but I don't know if you can just count on he's going to be that lethal against right. lefties again. But that's pretty good if that's hitting sixth. So I think... I think the lineup could be sneaky good. I, I love Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor finally getting to hit back-to-back. Um, just the fact that, like, if you're a reliever coming in late in the game and it's a close game, and knowing you have to navigate, you have to get both of those guys, and if one of them gets on base, well, there's Carlos Santana who draws 100 walks in his sleep and can hit 30 home runs in a season. And then if you somehow get to Framel Reyes, I mean, he's a huge power threat. Like, it's... That's a really good most of the order. Um, there are certainly questions at the bottom. We don't know if Roberto Perez is going to repeat the season he had. What's Oscar Mercado going to do in year two? But it's nicer to have him hitting ninth and second. Um, yeah. And then the Domingo Santana question. But, I, you know, it, it's interesting just with all the questions about the outfield, everyone has acted like this outfield is AAA level. And yet, I look at the lineup and I think, you know what? That's far from this team's biggest issue. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think, and having Naquin back healthy, uh, ready to go out of the, the gate helps in, in that regard. Because even if he isn't, even if he doesn't have that high ceiling that a lot of guys have, I, I feel like you kind of just know what you're going to get against right-handed pitching. And if nothing else, that's, that's fine. I think he's a, a valuable piece with where this team is at right now. And and I, I think it's better to have him healthy and ready to go than, than when we were sitting here uh, several months ago, not knowing what the outfield was going to look like. Uh, but as far as juggling all of those guys and getting them all at bats, I, I have no idea how, how Tito is going to do that. But it, it is, in my mind, not the, the weakest link like I, I thought it would have been at the, the outset of a, a regular season that we, that we were gearing up for. To me now, I look at this team, and my biggest question mark is is that bullpen because you don't have Emmanuel Classe now, um, and and he, not that he would was even a proven commodity uh, based on his short sample size. We knew he threw the ball hard and, and had a ton of ability in there, but we weren't exactly sure he could handle seventh and eighth inning setup duty for Brad Hand, and and even Brad Hand himself has had hiccups. He was not very good in the second half last year. I think the reasoning for it is sound, and I hope that the time off makes his his arm that much better. But he's a guy that's not right now throwing in the, the mid-90s like he once was. Uh, so, I mean, he's a question mark, and he's handling the ninth. There's not a lot of guys right now that you just hand the ball to and you say, well, it's lights out, one, two, three. Yeah, and I think that's scary for a 60-game season. Um, that It's... I, there is no, there's no like easy path, right? Like, let's say the starting pitcher goes six innings. I don't know what you do after that. I don't know how you get to hand in the ninth. And I'm like, I'm with you. I, if I'm an Indians fan, I'm, you know, reaching for that bottle of whiskey and some Marlboros. If um, if Brad Hand or anyone else is coming out of the bullpen, um, it's. It's going to be tough. And, you know, Karinchek is obviously the wild card because he has the stuff to be an elite reliever and a guy who can put out fires and you can pitch him anywhere. But without knowing if he can consistently throw strikes, it's why I wish they would have gotten him more time last year. You know, it, it's, again, you, he's going to have to build that trust. And that's going to take some time. And the problem is he's the only person who throws hard. I mean, you've got, I think it's going to be Wickren, 
It's going to be Oliver Perez, who's going to have to face some righties now. And that's, that leaves a lot to be desired. You know, that's part of the reason why the Indians wanted to make sure their starters were ready out of the shoot to throw six, seven innings. And they are, but you know, that's a lot to put on them. And yeah, there just is no easy answer. I, I don't know what the hell you can expect from Phil Maton or Dominic Leone. Um, you know, Cam Hill has a nice arm, but he's never pitched in the majors. So you can't expect them to plug him in in the seventh or eighth inning of a one run game right out of the shoot. So I, it's going to be, it's a mystery now and it's probably going to remain that way for a while. And you just wonder like if Brad hand isn't right and just, you know, all hell could break loose. I don't think, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth either, but I don't think it's, it's like a foregone conclusion that it's a disaster. I just mean that it's, no. it's a lot of volatility. Like every bullpen is no doubt, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of room on either side here where they could be really good or it could go really bad. Um, and that's, that's my level of concern. Not that I think they're going to be a disaster, but I think that's, it's not unrealistic to think that that's among one of the many outcomes that we could see this year is that the bullpen really holds them back. Well, and just think how much more confident you'd feel in the group if you had Emmanuel Classe and sure, maybe you knew a little more about Karen check. Um, everything's different then. And, and if this is an 162-game season, those two kids would have time to build trust, mm-hmm. to prove that they can. And by the end of the season, you could have a really good bullpen. And instead, you're, there is not a single person in that bullpen who, you, who I think anyone feels completely confident in. I think you can love Karen Cech's stuff and his attitude on the mound and his competitiveness, but he's a complete wild card at this point. Yeah, um, and they obviously have some some depth that they could go to at some point, um, some prospects they could go to at some point. Uh, but they also, if they wanted to, it is a weird season. Who's to say they don't just go rollless pitching staff at the end of the season? Let's go uh, four-man rotation, shorten it by one, throw a starter somewhere else. Uh, maybe just starters go a little bit shorter and another starter comes in and finishes the game. Let's go full hardball dynasty with this. Well, I think that's something that no one's talking about now. I think we all were wondering, you know, could they get creative with the rotation at the start of just all season, go with a four-man rotation, piggyback guys, you know, move someone to the bullpen. So you can't do that right away because they have 17 consecutive games before they have an off day. But if you look at the schedule, there is a week. It's a stretch of eight days in August, the middle of the month, when they have three off days. They've got another off day at the end of August. um, And they've got two in September. So it is possible that you could get creative some of the time. And maybe there's a few weeks in there where you could throw Carrasco or Plesak into the bullpen if you need to, but again, this is just going to be like a fly by the seat of your pants type <laughs> of season. I think there's a good chance that that could happen in the playoffs. Oh, sure. Uh, and, and, and they already have six guys that could, that could man those five spots right now. So we'll see how that adjusts over the 60 games. But I think once you get to the, to the postseason, if they do get there, uh, Frank Cohen has already shown that he has no, he has no reservations about just picking whoever he thinks are his most trusted arms and then just pitching the life out of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, saw, we saw Andrew Miller and Cody Allen just perhaps their careers altered by how much they pitched in 2016. And I don't think either one of them regret that to this day. I'm sure both of them were very much in favor of trying to go win that world championship in 2016. Uh, we saw that with Trevor Bauer, you know, coming out of the bullpen as much as he did and, some of that was just because he didn't get a chance to ramp up into a full starter's workload and probably wasn't ready to go in that regard. But um, he pitched every day in that series or every game in that series. So once Tito picks who his chosen three guys are, he's going to pitch the absolute hell out of them. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's the thing too, is like, 
they seem like they're pretty well equipped for the postseason, just in terms of how they're built. Um, and I do think they're built pretty well for a 60 game season as well. But again, anything can happen. They might meet the freaking Royals in the division series. Who knows? <laughs> do you have any anything were you in, in the starting rotation? I, I don't know if it's just always looking for the flip side of, of everything and seeing what the worst case scenario could be. That's just my lifestyle. When I go on a roller coaster, I'm thinking, what's the worst case scenario that could happen right here? I have to be prepared for it in my mind. So at least as I'm, as I'm going down in Final Destination style, I could be thinking to myself, I predicted this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at uh, you know Mike Clevenger. I wonder, is the the knee okay he's talked about uh needing to trust it and needing that to throw hard and even in his his most recent tune-up outing he still was sitting mostly 94 which is not bad but we saw him before he can open it up to 95 96 and sometimes higher than that and i that was really what took him to a new level so velocity is going to play a factor with him you know carrasco there's still questions because coming back from what he came back from last year do you know that he is the guy that he was before that, I, I, I don't know that that's the case 100%. Um, Savali, uh, Plesak, there's, there are question marks here, even though it might end up being and serving as the strength of the team. Yeah, there's the thing that worries me is you're only going to have 12 starts. And guys like Plesak and Savali, I think in a normal season, they probably would have been a lot better in August and September than they would have been in April and May because it's their second year. Hitters are going to know who they are. They're going to make adjustments. And it might take a little bit of time to adjust back and study more video and learn things and try out new things. That's, that's the biggest component here is that there's no time to implement a new pitch or to drastically change your pitching approach. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. Like Clevenger falls in that category too, because I think as the season goes on, he'll probably feel more and more comfortable and confident and be able to throw with more conviction, but there might be a little bit of a feeling out period. Um, so, and like Carrasco hasn't started games in a year and a half, you know, he's certainly built up the pitch count in these inner squad games, but he hasn't thrown 100 pitches against a real opponent in a game that counts in a long time. So there are question marks hovering over all these guys, except Bieber, I think. And I think part of what's kind of playing into my head is from first day of spring training in February, Bieber has just looked the part. He has carried himself like an ace. Nobody could touch him in Cactus League games. No one has been able to touch him in the inter-squad games. I, I don't have any concerns with him. But the other guys have all had... You know, like Clevenger, you're right. He hasn't quite looked sharp. Maybe that just kicks in with the adrenaline in a real game that counts. Carrasco looked good the other day, but you're right. He's still, I need to see it in the game because he's been through so much. And then the other two kids are just so young and inexperienced that there's a wide spectrum of outcomes that, could, that they could fall into. So it's the strength of the team. It can give them a humongous advantage if, all five guys reach their potential. But there's such a limited window for them to do that yeah. that this is not a group that's without question marks. Yeah, I mean, imagine if a guy loses feel for a pitch, uh, that can take several starts to get back. Um, it could take longer than that. Sometimes you never get it back. I, I think back to when Bauer remade his slider and came into the season with it. I think it was right around the end of spring training. He lost the feel for that pitch. Um, after he spent all winter crafting it, he couldn't get it to do what he wanted it to do. And it took him, God, what, eight starts? Uh, it was into May, uh, maybe even beyond there, before he finally felt like it turned the corner and it was back to doing some of the things that he wanted it to do. Um, so in <laughs> a regular season, that's fine because – You've got several starts to kind of work yourself into form. Do we see guys, like, if, if they don't have a pitch that's working in you know, the right 
movement profile or they somehow lose a, a feel for it and it's not spinning the way that it's supposed to. It's efficiency sucks. Are we going to see somebody drop a pitch? Are we going to see somebody shorten their arsenal? Because it's almost like playoff time here and it's just throw your best pitches as much as possible. And yeah, I typically like to throw four or five, but I need to, we need to get this down to the, to my best three pitches because I don't have time to, to sit here and search for the right grip or search for the right feel to make this pitch work properly. You're hundred percent right. I mean, think of it. Let's say, let's say Clevenger makes his first start Saturday and it's not quite right. He needs to, he's got to look at the video, study the mechanics and he identifies something. He says, I think this is the final piece missing. This is how I'm going to get back to where I was last year. So then start two, five days later, he implements whatever changes he identified and it works pretty well, but he needs to check the video, compare it to his first start, compare that to last year. Okay, now I've got it. I know what I need to do. Start three, goes out there, and maybe it works. Well, he's already made 25% of his starts for this season. So it's going to go pretty quick. There just there really isn't time. You know, One of the things about the inter-squad games is they didn't have access to the video room. Yeah, And normally between innings, Clevenger or whoever is going in, they're studying, looking to see if there's anything that's holding them back, anything they're doing really well. And they weren't able to do that in bet- during the inner squad starts. So when he had that issue the one night and he wasn't trusting his knee, you know, it took a few innings before he and Carl Willis finally identified what was happening. Normally, he might have been able to knock that out quickly and he'd see the video and like it wouldn't be a question. So it's, it, it's been difficult. They haven't had the normal preparation period. And now you can prepare and you can study video during starts and on your off days. But you just, you know, you're going to implement it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and if you're testing anything out, you're not, you're, you're not wasting it, but you're using up you know, almost 10% of your, your time on the mound for the season. <laughs> it's like you're trying to put together your son's Lego set, but you're doing it on the top thrill dragster. <laughs> I mean, you're just, it, it might be something that is simple. Just take some time, but uh, it's going to be done in a very speedy uh, sort of process. And even something, it can be, when you're actually doing it properly, it still takes time to get used to, Maybe uh, getting away from a bad habit that you had created for yourself uh, and in, in to focus on Clevenger. I think back to, you know, when he first made those adjustments in his delivery in the middle of the 20, what was that, 2017 season, 18, whatever it was. Um, all these seasons run together. You know, when he finally started having the right balance on the mound to to make sure that his body was behind his pitches and then he was you know, forming up through the kinetic chain and, and doing all the things that he needed to do to make sure that he could maximize his velocity. There was a start in Cincinnati when, when he really implemented it, crossed that threshold, and his command was all over the place because he just was not used to throwing that hard and feeling like it was that easy to, to do it. So it took him a few starts to even feel comfortable with doing something that was working for him. So there's so much discussion now about you know, a growth mindset and trying to get the most out of your ability. And it's going to be so difficult to try to do those things this season. You think about Corey Kluber and his, his release point. Remember he yeah. was having his Cy Young season, you know, he's feeling it in his back a little bit and his knee maybe, and his release point lowers and can't quite fix it for a few weeks. And then the playoffs come Didi Gregorius capitalizes on it. And that's that. That's how this is going to be. There's not enough time to yeah. fix everything that needs to be fixed. Um, and Even you know, if you look this- back, if you look back at that start too, you can see, oh no, he's he's starting to do the some of the the things that make him Corey Kluber. He's on his way. But guess what? It's game freaking five. That's it. We're right. done. Good night, everybody. Every game is game five this year. So, and then it's the same for a hitter too. I mean, it's you can spend every day in the in the cages. But sometimes it just takes time. And I mean, like, think about someone who's just having bad luck. Like, there was a while when Jose Ramirez was having some bad luck. I mean, Francisco Lindor, when he first came up his rookie season, he was crushing the ball his first few weeks. And he was hitting, like, 200. But 
we knew, you know, eventually that's going to even out. And, and if he kept at it, the numbers would reverse course. And they did. Well, maybe not this season. You know, if, if you just have some poor luck, uh, it might cost you a few million in arbitration. Oof. Yeah. Um, even Naquin, when he came up in his rookie year, they have like a 450 to 500 batting average on balls in play for a while. It's like, all right, uh, this is probably going to come back to earth a little bit. Uh, but we're 60 games. You might see, you know, a rookie of the year campaign forged that way. All right, are you ready for a random ex-Cleveland Indian of the day? You mean he plays for the team that will ultimately be the artist formerly known as the Indians? Well, he'll still at one point be an ex-Indian, will he not? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he played for the Cleveland Indians. All right, this man... Or an ex-future guardian? Uh, God, no, please, no, not guardians. Still haven't heard a name... I've had a few that have tweeted at both of us at the podcast page at Selby's Godcast. I have not heard one that really sounds awesome to me. How about the Cleveland Wild things? Oh, God. Okay. Um, so this man <laughs> pitched for was, the Indians. I was being serious. <laughs> so was I. In the, in the year 2000, uh, he pitched for the Indians. He also pitched for the Cubs that year. Uh, he appeared in 10 games for the Indians, finished three of those games, logged nine and a third innings. This is up, not fair. They used 6,000 pitchers in the year 2000. <laughs> um, but he had a 386 ERA, gave up four earned runs, eight hits, and nine and a third innings, struck out five, walked five, did give up a home run. Uh, so that fifth was at 506. Didn't think that was going to continue beyond that. But this... Uh, this guy was, it was not just with the Indians in his career. He also appeared with the, as I said, the Cubs, the A's, the, uh, oh, that's the California Angels, Seattle Mariners, Milwaukee Brewers, Chicago White Sox, over parts of seven seasons in the bigs. Oh, there's someone I want to say, and their name is like David or Danny or. Or Noe, none of that. Swimmy, Swami, Samsonite was way off. Lefty or righty? He was a left-handed pitcher. Boy. Drafted by the Mets in the 38th round of the 90 draft. Then drafted, then drafted by the Angels in the 4th round of the 93 draft. Uh... Went to Stanford. Made his debut in 94. Oh, man. His final appearance in the big leagues was in 2002. Brian something? Brian something. How did you? No, it is not. Uh, you're going to stump me. Yeah, I, I have no recollection of even this man's appearance appearing with the Indians, but I'm, he made 10 appearances, so it wasn't like he uh, made oh, one sure. appearance. So I should remember all of them, right? Well, I'm saying, you know, we've done guys before that made like two appearances over <laughs> a third of an inning, and that was it in their Indians' career, and we, we did that. The worst part about this season is that there's going to be no random jersey settings. Uh, that's true. Maybe outside the ballpark still. Like, Could you just go outside and watch from the the gate? You can do that, right? They can't tell you to not do that. Yeah, they have it blocked off, but you can still. What about you can see in there. Center field. You, you could kind of see field, through center field. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Any uh, I mean, his career, 653 ERA, went 6-11 and 11 over his seven seasons and 59 games, 26 of which starts. Uh... I don't see anything else that would help give you the, uh, the man here. I don't think there's any chance of you getting it. He was 27 at the age of his appearances with the Indians. How did they acquire him? Made his debut at the age of 21, which is kind of impressive, considering he didn't have a long career. Uh, transactions. 
let's work through his career here. He was signed as a free agent in May after he was released by the Cubs in May of 2000. Uh, he was involved in some trades in his career, including traded by the Angels to the White Sox for Jim Abbott. Jaime Navarro? It was not. Oh. I thought that was uh, it. Damn it. And look, he was traded a couple other times, but it was uh, in a conditional deal. Note for no other players. Do you give up? You got me. I give up. Uh, this random ex Cleveland Indian of the day is Andrew Lorraine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. I'm surprised you didn't get it. War number 63 with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, no, no recollection of him whatsoever, uh, but he did appear in 10 games in that season. So that's. That doesn't say much. That team, Jamie Brewington, I have nightmares of <laughs> him just pitching like 160 games uh, that season. No. Yeah, that's... If nothing else, you uh, will not have to subject yourself to, to that this year because there's only 60 games! Any final thoughts before we get this thing underway? It's going to be fun as hell, I think. Um I've come around fully. I'm excited. It's going to be absolute madness. It's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience for us just because baseball is normally slow, a gradual build. And it's part of what makes it great because it's so different. But for once, like, sports talk radio, go crazy. Have at it. Fire off your hot takes. Emotionally react to every win and loss because it's justified for once. Um, so I'm... I'm ready. Yep. I'm excited. I but bef- I want to hear your prediction first. All right. So predictions for for what? Where the Indians finish? Where the Central finishes? What, what's the? What do you want me to predict? Predict anything you feel comfortable predicting. All right. Hold on. Will the Indians win the division? I'm consulting my magic eight ball here. Uh, please check back later. Uh, so I think. <laughs> I don't think it's unreasonable that, as we said before, since it's such a short season, you don't get the opportunity for a rate of play to spread out the, the standings naturally. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, it's very uh, unrealistic to think that this division is going to be decided between the top three teams by probably one to three games. Like I could see all three of those teams finishing within three games of each other be it the Twins, Indians, and, and White Sox. I still think that the Twins are the, the better team in this division. I felt that way when they signed Josh Donaldson, that they were kind of uh, jockeying back and forth with the Indians, and then that firmly put them ahead of Cleveland. But it is such a short season that I think, God, anything could happen. I mean, you could see the Twins just play poorly for two weeks. Is it fair to say this? Because here's how I feel. Those three contenders in the division, no order of finish between those three teams would surprise me. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, if we're saying that they're all within one to three games of each other, then yeah, I mean, any short sample size of bad luck could thrust one in front of the other. Right. I mean, I, I still think Chicago has the most to prove. Um, probably has the most um, between the other two. They probably have more holes sure, and uncertainties on their roster, even though they really look like a fun team that if some of their young guys catch fire, which is very, very possible that they could be lifted to the top of the division. Um, but I still think it's twins finishing probably a game ahead of Cleveland. That's the way I had it when I wrote it out. I'll stand by that. I think Twins finished a game ahead of Cleveland and three games ahead of Chicago. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think that's the safe pick. I also think I think something crazy is going to happen. I don't know. I think I like mean, that's, you... that's what I'm rooting for at this point. I want crazy. I want to see Absolutely. somebody somebody that has no business 
being there, being there. That that would make this season so much more fun. I think a if you ask any person who resides in the city of Minneapolis, and I mean fan or beat writer, <laughs> I think they will all say the Twins will win the division, and there's no question about it. Um, but I think... I don't think they're as flawless as people make them out to be. You know, they have a lot of regression coming their way after they set the home run record. And they've got a very old team with a lot of injury-prone old players. Um, And in a 60-game season, if you strain an oblique, you're done. Goodbye. So it's going to be fun. Um, And, like, some one little slip-up like that, one injury can derail an entire season for some teams. So it's going to be, I, I really think all three teams, it should be a fun race and, you know, they'll all benefit from playing the pirates from beating up on the tigers and the Royals. So you could very well get two teams in and we're recording this before any sort of final decision on expanded playoffs comes about. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. All three teams play in October. True. Or that could happen anyways. Yeah. Could have uh, both teams in via wild card. Who knows? Craziness will happen. That is what we're rooting for. And we will be here to chronicle all of it on the Selby Scottcast. You can subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us over at Anchor. And, of course, you can find us on the Twitters. TJ Zuppi, Zach Meisel, at Selby Godcast. Hope everybody enjoys this season because it is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, be prepared because for the first time in probably ever, when someone has a hitless ball game, you can actually get on the radio and say, get them out of the leadoff spot. That guy sucks. <laughs> We're out of here. See ya.